1: And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer, or this week, more on beer design and branding as we chat with Dave Padden from Akasha. Akasha last week made a big splash announcing a major rebrand with all the social media noise you would expect. In this conversation, we cut through that noise to discuss the background to the rebrand and how it all came about, what they were looking to achieve and how they did it, as well as the reactions to the design. Being a conversation, we also catch up with how Dave and Akasha has gone during lockdown and how the beer sales mix has shifted with pubs being closed. We also discuss where Dave sees it going as pubs start to reopen. We also have a chat about the haze craze and what it means for beer styles generally. Dave is honest and forthright as always, and that makes for a great chat, one that could have gone on for much longer, and I hope you enjoy it just as much as Pete and I did.
0: Dave Padden from Akasha Brewing. Thanks very much for joining Matt and Pete on Beer as a Conversation. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Well, thanks for being ahead, uh, David. So I, I think we last spoke to you. When was it, Pete? Was it we we caught up with Dave at least once during the antidote at the? I can
0: tell you what it was, Matt. It was definitely during lockdown in Victoria. <laughs> um... But then again, pretty much everything that's happened has been during lockdown. So it was. No, it was uh, the antidote. It was one of the early, uh, maybe the second week of the uh, of the antidote. And we caught up with Dave for a bit of a uh, State of the Union, uh, how things were going on in New South Wales, which, which actually, I guess, Dave, might be as good a place as any to start off. Mm. Obviously, we want to uh, got you on to, to chat about the, the rebrand and everything, but we're still yep. in uh, whatever – we're not quite the other side yet of these uncharted waters in these unprecedented mm. times, and we haven't yet discovered what the new normal is. But um, how have you travelled since we spoke to you on the antidote? How have things gone um, since then?
2: It's a it's a good question and something we, we think about a lot. I think it's a it's an ever moving target. So um, at the moment we're we're looking pretty good. Um, I think we may have spoke about it last time when we, uh, when, we did, when we did speak about this that we're very lucky that a large proportion of what we do um, goes into cans. So um, we have a you know a, a fairly large skew. Almost eighty percent of our product goes into cans and into uh, into off premise. So um, that puts us in a pretty good situation in in um, in difficult times like this, I think the more beer in keg that, that we or anyone else has, they're probably the worse off they are with the restrictions on venues and things like that, and their own tasting room, of course, as well.
0: Just on that, too, Dave, with the, um, you, we talk about cans specifically mm-hmm. versus bottles. Do you think it's easier for breweries that have their, and I'm only thinking about, I've had issues with, some particular delivery companies um, with weight limits and that sort of thing. So to the point where I've ordered three cases of beer and they've come as three separate orders because they exceed the you know the the weight limit. So is cans a I guess a the way of the future in in that respect?
2: Oh, look, yeah, I think it is the way of the future in many regards, but definitely that's one of them. It is a lighter, a much much lighter package. I think you're looking at about yeah not not a lot more than a a, a few hundred grams over the weight of the actual product itself. So um and it depends on who we're using as well a lot of there's a lot of different providers out there but um some of the the popular ones do have limits on on uh, on weight so yeah if you've got if you're using cans you can fit a few more in so i think two to three cases for cans wouldn't be an issue at all so absolutely
0: i would also suspect too, and this is again anecdotal um but i've mm-hmm. spoken to a few people about this with people consuming all their beer pretty much in victoria at the moment at home um Cans are, I guess, a, a more freezer or fridge-friendly option as well than um, than bottles. And and because everyone's at home, every second week when your uh, recycling gets emptied, it's much quieter if it's full of empty cans than of empty <laughs> bottles.
2: There's nothing worse <laughs> than tipping up. I don't know what you guys have got down there. We've got we got the big, we've got a fairly large bin, but I know some of the guys in and in Sydney have the. Uh, the um the containers which they have to empty into another bin and that's a pretty embarrassing situation when you've got bottles. Cans you can <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll do it a lot quieter. But we should be recycling as well. So they should be going in a big bag down to the recycle um recycled place down here in Sydney. So
0: yeah, with every with everything else that's uh, being put put upon Victoria at the moment, I'm not surprised they haven't thrown the CDC at us as well, just to ah. you know, <laughs> while we're while we're down, kick us while we're down.
2: Don't give them any ideas, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> there we come. It's a nightmare from our perspective as well, trust me.
0: Dave, before I, I can't remember
1: whether we spoke about this on uh, the antidote when we did catch up, but were you guys predominantly packaged or draft?
2: Yeah, we're about eighty percent in package now.
1: And what so, were you beforehand? So, what has been the shift over the uh, over the lockdowns?
2: Oh, it's a good question. I think when we first started, so back you know four and a half, five years ago, we would have been more like around eighty to ninety percent draft. So, um, if we've still had that sort of skew, then we would be in a bit of trouble right now, I dare say. Um, but when we moved from bottles to cans, we we're probably sitting at about uh, about twenty to twenty five percent product in, in package um, when we released our first cans a few years ago um, it took off quite significantly you know to 50 percent to 60 percent now just just shy of 80 percent so um, that part of our business is, is growing quite rapidly particularly as we spread our wings a little bit to other parts of australia and to to different chains and that sort of thing um whereas you know the tap market has a lot of challenges um, in terms of growing significantly
1: if lockdown and COVID was to disappear tomorrow, and pubs were able to open up without restriction, do you think that that would spring back? Um, you know, the, the your, your pub volume would spring back, mm. or do you think there were going to be long term uh, issues with on premise?
2: Yeah, I think I think there's two aspects to it. I think definitely it will spring back to where it was, but I, I, I still think the tap market was challenging anyway before COVID, for various different reasons. That you know, whether they be tap contracts, whether they just be you know, just lack of taps in the market itself and just not growing in the same rate as as, as cans. But I've, we've also seen anecdotally as well, I think a lot of more people were drinking, drinking a lot more craft at home um, leading up to COVID as well. So that's obviously been exacerbated with everything that's going on. But I, I think it, things were starting to shift that way anyway.
1: So, so you, you, you think that it may have, whilst we are seeing, while well, we have seen, you know, people having to drink at home, Mm. This may have actually made that shift um, much faster.
2: Yeah, we, we, we've definitely seen it. We've seen a lot more growth in that in that off-premise market definitely before COVID hit, but that's, yeah, 100% right. It really, I mean, it made it happen in certain parts, in certain times. I mean, in, in Sydney, we're starting to go back the other way, which is great, and I'm I'm sure Victoria and other states will do the same as well. But, um, yeah, I think you're 100% right. It really sort of exacerbated that shift, which, which works well for us.
1: How's your volume going? Because one of the things I've heard from a couple of the breweries are probably a little bit smaller than you. Um, you know, they, because there was such a pickup of package um, and they were putting beer in package when they hadn't actually anticipated because they were planning on being a uh, more of a taproom venue, they re- were able to replace that volume. And now as um, pubs have started to open and take a little bit more draft, <laughs> there's something left with this situation of, gee, we don't have enough beer for our own taprooms. And, you know, is that a problem that you're going to face as um, you know, restrictions close? That you are going to have a few capacity constraints, or have you got that capacity to to go?
2: Oh, look right right now where we would, um, we're we're pretty much on capacity now. We're we're in the, in the process of, of expanding that at the moment. But that's a little way off. So yeah, we're absolutely we're we're with the with the low volume of um, of beer going to pack into kegs. Um, we're almost, we're pretty much hitting capacity right now. So, um, yeah, we would have. It's, it's, um, you know, I think I think the market's certainly doing okay. I think most breweries I know, most breweries I talk to, are shifting a fairly similar volume, uh, here in Sydney anyway, that they were before COVID. So um, I think when pubs come back on, yeah, absolutely. It will remain to see how much, if some of that package market may reduce a little bit as well. I don't know. That's that's what we'll I was going see to how ask. We go. Yeah, but it, yeah. It, it,
1: it, it, it's interesting. I don't think I've heard anyone talk. You know, everyone's talked about the COVID shift, but mm. I had I don't think I've heard anyone say talk about that there had been a gradual move towards drinking at home before that. Um, so mm. there may not be as big a spring back as people uh, are relying to uh, to going back to um, tap beer.
2: Yeah, well I think that will be. I think I just think if we if I look at our if we look at our numbers over the years, the volume of beer going into into kegs for us has not, you know, the the upward shift has not been great over the last few years. Um, but our upward shift in, in pack has been quite phenomenal. So um, you know, I know a few brews like that. There may be others that I know there's plenty of brews out there that do continue to focus on on the tap market. And um, maybe it'll all even out, but certainly, anecdotally, and the people we talked to, and the research that we've done, we've seen that seen that shift happen.
1: COVID hit us towards the end of March. Um, was mm-hmm. the moving on to the to the rebrand? Um, was this something that uh, that you'd been thinking about before COVID, or has this been something that uh, came about as a result of COVID? And what caused you to start thinking that uh, Akasha really needed to look at a rebrand?
2: Look, it's it's certainly not something. I mean it's a rebrand is an expensive exercise if we're going to do it properly. So it certainly wasn't something we came up with during COVID. The first couple of months of COVID were a bit, you know, we trying everyone was trying to find their feed. So we've been thinking about doing this since the end of last year. It, uh, it, it sort of came with our our growth um, significantly. The last sort of 12 months leading up to that had been, we'd, we'd invested a lot into growth to make sure that we were growing at that time, but also had some capacity to grow, um, After that, there was no point in doing a rebrand if we don't expect any growth to come out of that. So there was a lot of our our volume going into pack, and we needed to be able to support that. So we we invested in a very um, capable canning line of our own. We'd been actually been outsourcing that for a number of years to East Coast, who we had a wonderful relationship with. But really, to to be a little bit more uh, efficient and to make a little bit more uh, margin in that in that part of our market, we really need to be doing that ourselves. So, invested in a brand new canning line, um, invested in um, a lot of storage capability. As we were growing, we needed more storage capability for our beer. We we do pride ourselves on keeping everything cold, so that's pretty tough as you grow. Um, moved to national distribution, which was which is hard um, and expensive as well. <laughs> Um, but also that, as I said, that capacity expansion. So, um, you know, we needed to be able to support some significant growth as we as we move through a rebrand. So that's what we we wanted to make sure we got that all out of the way and ready. Um, and then at the beginning of this year, we we went out to our market and did a bit of market research. Well, not a bit of, we did a lot of market research around a lot of things: what people thought of us, what they liked about us, what they didn't like about us. Asked some pretty tough questions. That sometimes you don't necessarily want the answer to.
1: Now, just before you move on from that, how did you go through that process? Like, was it just you rocking it up up at a pub and sort of saying, "Hey, what do you think of this?" Or like, did you engage <laughs> yeah. consultants to to go out and do that?
2: Yeah, I think I think doing it, so. We've done it before ourselves, and I think um, people are a bit too nice, and I don't think you get get the real feedback that you need by doing it yourself. I think it, you know, it's like going to your mates and saying, "You know, do you like my new haircut?" And they say, "Well." Yeah, you know, it looks really great. And then, you know, once you've gone, they say, "Geez, that was a shit haircut." <laughs> so it's it's kind of it's it's kind of. I think we we realised that it was really a, a good idea to to get somebody else to help us with that and do that and and talk to us, especially our staff. No staff, you know, we've got we've got about seventeen people working for us, and they're all so passionate and love what they do, and have some great ideas. But sometimes they're a little bit hesitant to talk to to me or some of our other guys about that about what they truly think if they really don't like something or do like something, or do like something, they're pretty easy to tell you, but if they don't like something, then but sometimes they can find it hard to tell you. So we we did get a third party in to help us with that, and I think that was that was a really, really great way to do it. So we went out to – so our staff, obviously, was first, our wholesale customers, both on and off-premise and, and, our, and our end consumer, and asked them a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of questions which was good.
1: was the same company that did it, the same ones that did the eventual design? Like was it was a whole no. service. So you actually went out to a specialist um, uh, brand
2: company? Yeah, this, yeah, these guys, we have two sort of companies. That, one that helped us with the design and one that uh, helped us with, with that particular market research. But they were very good at that. And I think um, like anything in this world, you, you focus on what you do and do it well. And they were, they were very good at doing that. So they went out to all three and what was the good stuff on the bad stuff? And you know, the good stuff was things like, yeah, you know, we have a very good quality product that people know and love and that um, you know, people were starting to like to be able to see it in different places around the, around the, around the country. Um, we, re, we, we reaffirmed that our team is is, is 100% dedicated, not just to, to, to us, but dedicated to the craft. and. That was really nice. These people are so passionate. Every single one of them about what they do, and are very passionate about us and our and our brand and our company as well, which was really nice. Um, and we all love hops. It was it was kind of funny one. It's it's kind of the way you. We've always been such a a hop driven brewery, and unashamedly just focus on that almost that one line of product. Um, but I, we we all all seventeen of us are like that. And you know, unashamedly, brew, brew hop driven beers, and I think we're pretty good at it. So there was some some nice positives that came out of it.
1: And and what was it that came out of that that made you think, uh, maybe we need to refresh the cans and the logo and the and, and the look of the the business? It
2: was pretty consistent and something we already knew anyway. But we didn't. What we didn't want to do is, I guess, um, preempt what people were going to say. So it was quite a quite open questions. But the answers that were coming back were quite um very similar I think and our and it's more than brand is more than just what you know the image on the can it was it was about our story it was about how we how we are when we're out we're in a bottle you know, if we we've got a display in a bottle shop where our tap room or we're at a festival somewhere you know how do we come across and I think one of the things that pretty much everybody said is that we kind of lacked cohesion across all those different things. Um you know we'd had different looks, we had different Things happening, it really didn't have this combined sort of you know, brand story, if you like. So, in our and our design language itself, and and obviously some of, some of the design guys that we we're working with were saying is that it just a lot of the designs that we came up with were done on an ad hoc basis and really didn't have a have a nice consistency, whether that's on the shelf or or wherever it may be. Um, so yeah, but as I said, the, the brand story kind of lacked a bit of personality. Um, and we needed to, to sort of come up with something that, um, and yeah, one looked great on the shelf is there's, there's so many beers on the shelf. every single off premise or on premise for that matter, venue has so much going on on the taps or on the shelf that how do we, you know, make it consistent and how do we pop on the shelf? That was, that was a major thing, but then how do we actually sort of, you know, uh, visualize our brand a little bit as well.
0: Dave I reckon at the moment I see Independent Brewers as falling into two distinct classes there's core range and there's every time you refresh your Facebook page we've put out a new beer like so there's a limited release and 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 each one is is different does mm-hmm. that uh influence uh the way you look at a, a brand refresh
2: 100% it, it's 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 something we think about a lot over the years it's really really tempting um sort of take it back away from the rebrand a little bit to to just release um seasonal or whatever you want to call it limited release after limited release um because they're always popular everyone's after the next best thing um but it, i don't think it does your brand much good at all and do you we, make money been, from
1: that is the other question that oh I've it's got? tough
2: there's there's two things that, that i don't like about it one is our core range we've been working on now for five years, and we think we're we're getting them pretty well brewed, right? It takes a long time to to fine tune a beer, and if you're consistently releasing different beer after different beer after different beer, I I, I just don't can't see us getting you know really really good at it. Um, yeah. So I think yeah. um, you know, and, and our core range has has always been our biggest seller, which is which is amazing for us. Um, Hopsmith, uh, I think it's Hopsmith and Mosaic IPA make up about 50% of our volume, uh, which is amazing. people know what they're going to get. They can walk into um, a bottle shop or a bar anywhere around the country and and um, and hopefully find it. And and then you know we have the our quality aspect is that then we work really really hard to make sure that it it's consistent and tastes the same all around, no matter where they're grabbing it. So Cool Range is great. We love it, um, but we also As brewers, we love to to spread our wings a little bit, but I think obviously our customers like like to see some limited releases as well. So we we cut it somewhere down the middle.
0: And there's two things with that, I think, Dave. One is, you know, if you're continually bringing out new releases and um, your branding is based on a different color for each one, you're going to run out of colors sooner rather (laughs) than later. But the the other thing, and it's probably just the grumpy old man in me that's that's a bit cynical that says, if that's if that beer was really good, you'd want to brew it again. Or if you if you didn't think there was any improvement you could make in that beer, like just the the one off, I think to me it just speaks to a, a different, uh, I guess, drinker mentality.
2: Mm, mm. But I think there's yeah, and the I just most... think it's
0: not nearly as sustainable as a a good core range. And and I should just qualify yeah. what I said because you, you made a, you, you brought up a good point about seasonals, mm. and and I'll look at somewhere like um, Bridge Road Brewers, a perfect example really great, strong core range from day one, but then Absolutely. you look forward to the fresh hop harvest things or you look yes. forward to the robust porter in in winter or the Celtic ale in, in autumn and then you mm-hmm. the chestnut pilsner in, in summer. So it gave you that sort of, and I don't know, whether, again, Matt and I have discussed this a bit, whether it's a Melbourne thing because we're so used to welcoming in the seasons and changing mm-hmm. and, and, you know, looking forward. Um, but, but to me, I, I just think, you know that, that that's a great way to do it a core range with with your seasonals rather than you know every week a new limited release
2: yeah yeah and we will quite often bring some of those back and might be on demand it may be on we just love the beer it, 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 there's a there's a few I think there's there's probably three different types now that we're talking about it is that we've got the limited releases the core and the seasonals because we, we will quite often bring back a beer certainly um, so we certainly brew us out every every winter we have um, I mean Corbin whilst – considered core is is one of our probably beer that we're most famously known for um our double ipa is only released three times a year
0: yes i'm not a big fan of the beer but i absolutely love the anticipation of everybody getting on board with with corbin
2: (laughs) yeah we love it we love it but if it was (laughs) core range it may send and the main reason about that is to get it out quickly it's pre-sold get into the hands of the drinker within a couple of weeks um and then um, by the time we get around to the next release, it's you know it's all well and off the shelves and everyone's ready for a new new release. So um, there's some really good reasons why we do it. Um, but the, the season to get back to the branding thing, I think, um, we our core range is definitely um, something that we wanted to be quite quite simple, but but attractive and and pop on the shelf um, and, you know, and and be sort of stick out from everything else, but be well recognised. Um, whereas the the limited releases are something where we can go a little bit more, a little bit more funky on the label, and um, so we we went down a, a sub-brand path for that one. So
0: and that that's the Akasha project.
2: Correct. Yeah. So a, a brand that allows us to spread our wings a little bit, something maybe a little bit bigger, a little bit funkier, a little bit different to what we would normally do, um, and sort of encase it in that in that subbrand. And it has so it does also have. An element of being recognised on the shelf as an Akasha Project beer or an Akasha beer, um, but then have its own um, personality on the label as well. So allows our designers to be a little bit uh, bit more creative as well, which, which is which is which is cool.
0: Hey Dave, one more quick one um, on the the look of the rebrand or the, the, the I guess the philosophy behind why you went the way you did. Before we get into um, you know how you, you got the elements and whatever. Um, Is there, is it, are you influenced at all by the fact that the major retailers now, rather than having all the Akasha beers on, you know, in a block, will have, you know, the IPA in the IPA section, the pale in the pale section, lager in the lager section? So you've got to kind of, you you can't, um, if you like, mass your troops and and get one one big, you know, uh, billboard. You've got to have a lot of, uh, you've got to stand out, you know, in one offs in a small way, if you like.
2: Mm. 100%. 100% and you hit the nail on the head in terms of where we're heading for that. We want them to look we want a can to be on the shelf and and be recognized as our beer. That's really really important. Um rec- you know it's almost you know you could be anywhere around the country seeing a can beer, recognize it in the fridge um and know that it's probably going to be a hop-driven um well you know well-brewed quality beer. Um not probably will be, I should say. <laughs> so um so so, yeah, being able to stand out on our, on its own and be recognised as one of our beers is highly important. But also, um, yeah, our, our bigger retailers will have all of our core beers in a row on the shelf, um, mostly. Um, and they do look, you know, are distinguished, have their own look, but also look like an Acacia beer. Um, yeah, all of the above.
1: You didn't just go for a like a, a look refresh. You've actually gone for a brand refresh, including a new logo and... Those mm-hmm. sorts of things, you know. So, because the Akasha means the fifth element, I think. Correct. It, yep. yep. So it, it's a fifth element, and you had that n- nice wavy um, horizontal lines. that sort mm-hmm. of almost a uh, you know had that fifth element yep. sort of feeling. You sure. didn't just go for a consistent packaging look um, that incorporated that. You actually threw that out and completely restarted. What was the the thinking behind that?
2: Um. it's a really good question and probably the hard, I mean, it's hard. Most people don't like change, including me, including most of our guys. So it was, it was difficult to do that. Um, but it really, when it came down to market research, it it really wasn't, it wasn't the thing that, that stuck out to people. It wasn't the thing that, um, that really told our story incredibly well. So, um, it was a difficult thing to do. I think it's, any change is difficult and it's really risky as well. Um, you know, but, um, we wanted something that represented us a little bit better, something a little more simple, something that, that could be used um, across all of our branding opportunities, not just on the can. Um, so um, we went through various, various iterations of what that could be. Um, I think the most important thing, though, was that our, our, our designers, so we have uh, two guys that we brought on board, um, a brand strategist and a designer. Uh, Brendan and Vincent, who have been, who really are, but have been incorporated into our team quite well.
1: Feel free to give them a shout out if, uh, if you want to sort of name their company.
2: Absolutely. Well, they're their own entity. So, <laughs> but uh, so Brendan, uh, so Brendan McCallum is uh, is a, a brand strategist and copywriter. So, um, sort of more around our strategy where we're going with the words that we use to describe ourselves is is very good at. And using getting into into my head and everyone else's head, trying to understand what we're trying to say, and then saying it in a really cool way. <laughs> it's quite. I'm I'm certainly no copywriter, and, and I have great ideas in my head, but when I try and write them on a piece of paper, it doesn't look real good. So he has this unique ability to get into my head and and say and say in a in a much more impressive way um, than I can. Uh, and Vincent Casey, who's our designer, who works closely with Brennan, um, to then obviously make that into what you see on the cans and, and all of our different different things. So um yeah the, the, the triangle was something that that said a lot. It's a very spiritual obviously but it means a lot of different things to different people but um when we when we spoke to when we spent we spent a good couple of months with Brendan and Vincent describing what we do, how we do it, what we love, what we don't love, um and they came up with five words which which is really, really simple, but really is describes all of us at Akasha and who we are, and what we do, and it's Great Beer Is Our Everything. Great Beer Is Our Everything is is really distills down into into five words um, what we are, and, and the triangle really helped us with that. And it has the in the middle of that hop triangle is is the hop because um, the other thing that we that um, our sub what is now our sub tagline is for the love of hops. So great beer is everything to all of us. We live it, we breathe it. It's it's it takes up way too much of our lives, but we all adore it so much. And um, and then we we can we even refine that more to say for the love of hops because we all truly love that side of brewing as well. So um, the hop being the centre of the triangle um, means all of that as well. So it's um, there are some other components to the triangle. Um, the other three, there's three things that um, We've always, as brewers, and this gets more down to the brewing side of things, have always put at the top of anything, and that's hop forward, high quality and consistency. Um, and we'll we'll start to release more of those sort of marketing messages um, over the coming months. But um, they're sort of the three points, if you like, that, um, that, that underpin everything that we do.
0: Just on that, Dave, I've noticed a shift. Uh, I guess, for a while there, particularly when, uh, again, independent brewers particularly were were sort of embracing the can and realising, gee, there's a lot more real estate, we can get a bit funky, and we got a lot of, um, you know, sort of uh, picture shows and we got uh, comic book looks and we got uh, very busy branding because the the can offered that opportunity. But I've since noticed a shift, I guess, away from that to something that's a little bit more simplistic, um, Mm -hmm. more geometric more bold but simplified um almost and, and then in terms of the color scheme what you might you know call the bolter effect in terms of using yeah. um a more muted palette uh you know more pastels and that sort of thing was yeah. that part of uh, i guess moving towards it, you know you picking up on on that trend
2: well 100 i think i think there's there's been some groundbreakers in that regard bolter sitting being one of them uh of simplifying can art and i think um, and, and, again, we spent time with our market research guys. We also spent some time with some of the bigger retailers around what works and what doesn't work. And at the, at the end of the day, when you've got 500 beers on the shelf, you don't have time to, to, to really go deep into the can on the shelf. You certainly have that time once you're home. But how are we going to get the hand? Yeah. For us, we, we've got a great reputation for great beer. Um, but if you don't know who we are, how we're we going to market? How are we going to get this beer into the into the hands of of a new consumer? As we spread out into, you know, we've just spread out into South Australia and Western Australia in the last few months. People need to get to know us, but they need to be taking the beer off the shelf and it needs to catch their eye. And we need to get into their hands quickly. Um, so it's certainly been, I won't say proven, but it's certainly um, there's a lot of breweries that have have been successful around the world with those simple designs. And you're right, Pete, there, there is some more real estate with words and things. Once they've got a home, they can read more on the can. We can then direct them to um, our website, which has now all been refreshed to, to have the same brand and look and feel. And then they, can, they can go as deep as they want to go. But when it's on the shelf, you don't have very long to, to pop and, and be something that looks, looks good enough to pick up and take home.
1: As someone who doesn't have a background in design yourself and you are relying on designers looking at contemporary trends and you know sort of taking in some of the thing that is um, popular now like there's no point doing like something that was you know very 10 years ago and putting that on now because that will look dated so you know even looking at the colors for the cans you know it's quite pastel and you know it's Mm -hmm. quite light um what was your feeling around that because that's quite different from what you had before and was there any particular audience you were looking at appealing at or were you just looking for distinctive
2: i think i think we were we're definitely looking for distinctive something that a little bit timeless i don't think they're, they're they're colors that are just coming in there and will go next week i think um together again what we we're saying before together they look very attractive on their own they look very attractive um but the branding itself um uh yeah the even the akasha word is quite big and striking and in uh, and white across all of the pan cans even even the um the pack four pack holders we've gone to a is now part of our design it's a it's a white um, pack tech which is a little bit different um, to then, you know, help um, pop the actual Akasha word that's sitting on the shelf in front of you. So there's a whole lot of things, and you're right, I have no idea about this stuff. I've learned so much over the last over the last nine months, but um, I think the but the, the the brand, the new brand itself, if we put the colours aside, is something that can travel forward through different styles and and what's what's at the time. So we may, yeah, you know, those colours could change in five years time. Um, but we could still keep that keep that same look and brand.
1: Now, this might be the last thing that you want to hear, but with the, <laughs> with, 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 with the triangle and the hop in the middle and the shape of it, has yep. anyone else commented that it's a little bit like the Crafty Point logo?
2: <laughs> Do you know? It never occurred to any of us. Uh, but I but I did uh, I did send uh, send the guys some beer, and uh, yeah, I did get a, a comment back from James saying uh, I can't remember what he said. It was quite funny, but. Um, something, uh, you know, welcome to the Illuminati club, or something like that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, that, that's what it is. I
1: mean, so I mean, James is, isn't a original. Like, so that wasn't suggesting it wasn't original, but you know, like it it, it drew no, on course. other influences as well. You know, um, you know it also it,
0: appears it, on the uh, the US one dollar bill. It does. It's yeah, the, the triangle with the the all seeing eye, which is very Akasha. <laughs> but it's, it's now it's a pyramid or a triangle.
2: It, it essentially it's a pyramid but it appears as a triangle on our on our on our label but yeah it's used all around
0: the two or one d yeah
2: that's correct yeah so so we've gone with it with a triangle it can be a pyramid it can be lots of different things and we're not we're not saying that that's exactly what what it represents um but it's it's a well-known uh shape or mark and um it's used in in various ways around the world but um you know, we've made it our own by, by you know placing the hop straight in the middle of it by by you know, making quite a statement.
1: Actually the bass the the red bass was a triangle, wasn't
0: it? A red triangle. So the it's world's first ever registered. Registered cooking, trademark, uh, trademark, yeah. So so
1: it actually it's used is a lot around the world. Yeah, but so it's a so it's a very you know, and again, like not saying that it's um drawing from that, but it it's a very beery um symbol in, in, in that sense. So okay. Yeah, good. Added, listen, added uh, layer of consistency with uh, it being beer.
2: That's great. Yeah, we. I mean, we spend. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard. I mean, you can come up with exactly what you want to come up with, and but we did have to go through a quite an extensive IP process as well uh, okay. to make sure that we're doing the right thing. There, we we've we've got our own IP lawyers. We've we've had those for a while, but it's a pretty important part of of. Of a rebrand is making sure that obviously our name is, is is all had already been trademarked on that kind of thing, and that's usually the main thing. But you've got to be careful um, with imagery and other things as well to make sure you're doing the right thing. So we engage those guys to to get all that ticked off.
1: Just just to round out, you're not the official beer of the crafty cabal, because <laughs> no. that would have been a good sales never, pitch as well.
0: Sorry, Pete. Well, mate, the the ancient Egyptian pharaohs might be coming after, you going, "Hey, that was our symbol for cash," you know, the K A S H, the beer that was, know, to, yeah. used to yeah, to pay the slaves who, uh, sorry, the um <laughs> indentured servants who built the uh, the pyramids. So, you know, at oh, at dear. the end of the day, we're going to get to some point where they we've run out of original thought. You know, the the, the you know, we've oh, done that I, already, I think, haven't think... we?
1: That's the thing. Like everybody's riffing on a theme, and
0: everything old is new again. <laughs> or the other way, or the other like way pastel colours, right? Yeah, that's right, exactly Hey listen, now, now, this is an important one Getting away from the brand refresh a little bit sure. But we're getting it down in nitty gritty Because I uh, still name check you As um, I, I go back to It was a, an, uh, an edition of the um, Local tap house Ale Stars And right. it really resonated with me And I still use it to this day Listening to you speaking about NIPA. And uh, for, yeah, slash <laughs> jumping forward, hazy, right? And yeah. a, a hazy, sh- and, and please let me know if I'm misquoting you or, or taking you out of context at all. But uh, to summarize, you basically said the haze should come about as a result of the brewing process by which hops, et cetera, et cetera, we're getting, you know, adding them late, so getting flavor and aroma. And uh, w- without the bitterness, haze mm-hmm. is achieved, and that's the way a purist should look at a. Back then, we only. It's took only that there meat to achieve the a... flavour
1: purpose, and the way that it looks is secondary to that flavour purpose.
2: I, I think. It, I think it's. It, and thank you, Pete. It, it makes me um, makes me proud that you remember it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it's. I, I don't. I think it's still an important part, and, and obviously the look. Um, you know, I mean, in, in official beer judging, you know, the look of a beer is is part of the judging process. So it is important, but but I think yeah, the, the main thing is is that it's certainly not the most important. And I think we um, a lot of brewers get into the of hazy beers get into the trap of of spending all their time um, getting it hazy, but not enough time on making sure that the flavour profile and palate is perfect. So exactly,
0: the the prosecution uh, submits as exhibits A through. Uh, Z, pectin, flower, bio, uh, bio cloud, cloud. <laughs> whatever it might be to to achieve the haze, whereas the whole point is that the haze comes as a result of you know the the process.
2: Yeah, and um, absolutely. I mean yeah the high protein count, the the um, yeah the hop, the hopping um, biotransformation process itself there's all sorts of things that will contribute to that haze. Um, but as long as we're focusing on getting, you know, it's a, it's a light, yeah, you know, it's a very highly late hopped, low bitterness, um, big mouth, pillowy mouth fill, all these things. And, and you're right, the ingredients that we use and the processes that we use to get that, um, you know, it should give us a hazy beer in the end as well. I'd rather, I'd rather brew a beer that was brewed with that in mind. And it's clear than a beer that's had, you know, whatever done to it to make it hazy. And it tastes, um, a little bit, at, uh, a little bit left of center. So it's it's, it's, yeah, well quoted, thank you. But, I still agree with that now.
1: <laughs> but while we're talking, because it just is with branding, you want to be seen as contemporary and you want to be seen as mm. relevant. Um, styles are very much part of that as well. And, you know, I haven't heard too many brewers um, talk about the juicy craze as, as as the movement has gone from just being the New England mm. IPA, which was a fairly distinctive type of IPA, and has become a thing in itself. I haven't heard too many brewers of sort of your vintage go, you know, isn't it awesome the way beer has gone in terms of flavour and, you know, style, um, techniques? There was always a a, a vague note of apology um, (laughs) at at the way that it's gone. This isn't what I set out to make. This isn't the thing that, um, you know inspired me in, into brewing but consumers yeah, yeah. love it and from a business point of view i sort of here is my offering to the market is, is, is that how you feel or That's is that really
2: interesting now now i hope you, when you say a brewer of my vintage i hope you're not referring to my age but i, I your experience I, <laughs> <laughs> so um look you're right it's certainly nothing i mean they went around when we were we were all started well with some of the the older guys that I shouldn't say older guys, my God, the uh, guys have been brewing for a while. Right, you're talking about and, and here,
1: so you're younger than both of us. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> only just, always <laughs> only just. So, so I, um, when I, you know, I, I, I fell in love with West Coast IPAs years and years and years ago and spent, you know, spent a lot of time, even as a home brewer before a professional brewer, um, you know, really honing my skills on brewing a West Coast IPA. And then, you know, it was 10 years ago that I started bringing those beers to market. So I've been doing it for, for quite a long time. And really, and I would never say for any beer um, that I've perfected anything or, or, we, or our entire brewery has perfected anything. We're always working on making things better. But we did spend a lot of time, you know, getting that right. It wasn't something we just sort of set out to do. And and 12 months later, we were really good at it. It took, took time. And I think that's where we're, certainly as a brewer we're sitting now with this, there is this new, type of ipa but it's not just different flavor profiles it's a completely different way of doing things it's a different way of brewing it's a different way of using ingredients a different process it's it's a really different way of doing things and it's going to take time i think for breweries to really perfect how they do that and 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 we certainly put ourselves in and i think yeah we're making some good some good hazy ipas where they're um they're brewed well they taste good they're balanced um but we're still i think as a, as a group all of the brewers have a little way to go to, to, to get them um, maybe where they should be I think there's a little way to go um, but, but that just takes time um, and it almost gets back to that uh, core beer and limited release argument is that let's maybe try uh, we, we've we're certainly starting to incorporate a, a hazy that we're brewing quite regularly um, so that we can work on it and get, and get it better and the only way we can do that is by by rebrewing you yeah, know, similar, similar if not the same kind of beer. Because it, it, it,
1: it's funny talking about that is that, you know, like Brews News covers the entire beer spectrum. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I went 15 uh, years ago, 20 years ago, when Brews News had its early origins as beer mat, and then beer mat, like we sort of wrote, mm-hmm. looking at, um, you know, craft beer was this pure thing that it was all about brewers who were inspired to c- create malt, water, hops, yeast-driven things for mm-hmm true expressions of flavour. Um, and so I'd rail against some of the nonsense that the big brewers would go on with. And I, I, um, you know, today we posted a story about VB has come out with an aftershave that was the biggest selling aftershave you know, fragrance in Australia in history. Um, Is and that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so we've Bloody posted hell. so so they've actually made it a permanent thing through Chemist Warehouse. That's amazing. Um, it even <laughs> sold outsold Hamish by Andy. Um which says <laughs> so, so
0: something about the audience. Um but yes. but, but, but why, why smell like a comedian if uh, you can smell like beer? <laughs> <laughs> but my point my point was whenever I post
1: something like that, you know, I I just sort of brace myself for the onslaught of online, you know, people going, oh, this is ridiculous. Big brewers just don't know. But the more that I've seen craft beer, the the craft beer circle turn, and you look at some of the, you know, whales vomit, you know, ambergris being used in beers for no purpose other than a headline and, you know, some of the the things. And, you know, there is an element of the haze craze um, that is about fattishness and about gimmick and about just... The marketing element that it's it's something you've got to be done. That you know, if I have to write seriously about some of the things that craft brewers are doing, then I'm quite happily going to post something as ridiculous as a, a beer aftershave. It, I mean, do, do you understand? Which
2: has been wildly successful, but yes.
1: Well, yeah, and but well. so is so is hay. Like that, that's the other thing. But yeah. the, the, I, I guess the the, the question was. Are hazy beers something that's in the pointy end of the pointy end of the broader craft movement? Or are hazy's a um, you know, the the, the low bitterness, juicy flavours of all of those beers? Are they something that are breaking out into a mainstream audience?
2: Oh, that's a really good question. Something we we talk a lot about regularly. And before I think before the haze Craze the before New England IPA. I mean, yeah, before we were brewing it, definitely down here in Australia. I, I definitely saw a move away from big, bitter IPAs anyway. So, um, we we certainly, I we, you know, we, we're not at that big, bitter West Coast, you know, tooth enamel stripping place that we <laughs> were, you know, seven or eight years ago. I think we've, yeah. we've sort of backed off a bit, even our West Coasts are. Uh, And it has come back quite a lot. So I I think we saw the market going there anyway. And I think for us to become, I think for craft and IPA in particular to become mainstream, um, it needed to do that because um, unless you were really into IPAs, they were just too big.
1: But again, have we moved, like, and and that's, you're exactly right, like the the, um, IBU wars um, of, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago. Word, I, I categorise as being in the same movement. You know, if a little bit is good, a lot yep. is better. And then it just becomes an arms race that is about, you know, somebody bringing out a thousand IBU beer just to <laughs> say that they've done it.
2: Yep. And I drank it and I bought it.
1: It was somebody you're... who did a
2: th- thousand IBU beer. And, and, and back in that, and that, I might have drunk that 13, 14 years ago. Um, But I hunted that thing down and got it. And, and you yeah, know, it was terrible, but I said it was great.
0: But, but now I, for those playing yeah, well, Dave, was it was it
2: Nicola? Mate, was it, no, was the, I, think, I think it was,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But mate, that, and, and you, that last comment that you made, you know, I, I, you know, said it was fantastic, but I hated it, or you know, like I bought it and sort of raved <laughs> about it, but hated it, and and that was the nub of my thing. Like it's almost the emperor isn't wearing any clothes, where everyone mm. goes along with it except for the people that aren't embedded in the group that wants to be included. And, you know, I I guess that's why um, I asked the question, you know, is this just a niche beer geek thing that actually alienates the broader beer market or is it capitalising on on the trend that a broader beer market doesn't really like the bitterness in beer um, and so this is a style that can capture another mainstream part of the market that feels the same or have we taken it, you know, through the looking glass and actually made it a ridiculous cartoonish version of itself because we have, you know, it, it is about Instagram, you know, beer geeks Instagramming the densest, most mango juice looking beer in their butt plug shaped glass that they can.
0: Or just hiding the fact that it's a dirty glass. <laughs> <Yeah>. well- <laughs>
2: The, um, look, you're 100% right. I, I, I do believe that this hazy yeah, beer is here to stay. It is a style under the IPA banner that, that will stick around. This is nothing new for brewers in, you know, in the northeast of the States. I think that a lot of these guys, the Alchemist, these guys have been doing this for a long, long time and their beers are absolutely amazing. Um, what you won't see the Alchemist doing, uh, who brews Hetty Topper, of course, and a, and a bunch of other I don't even call it hazy beer. It just happens to be hazy. Back to our argument again before. And it looks like Cooper um, Sparkling.
1: Like it, it looks like a rolled bottle of Cooper Sparkling in terms yeah, of the colour.
2: It doesn't look like. But if you talk to, and, and I was lucky enough to spend some time with, with The Alchemist uh, beginning of this year before all we went to shit, that the they are brewing exactly what we were saying before, Pete. That, that hazy air, yeah, just hazy, because that's the way it comes out. But we're brewing big, hop, late hopped, low bitterness, beers that are probably more or not probably that are more um, more for the wider audience because when we're seeing, when we do a hazy, when we do a, a low bitterness IPA, we see in our own tap room, the uptake of that beer is phenomenal and everybody loves it, the mm. flavours, the everything. So yep, I, think, yep. I think a lot of, not everybody wants a big, you know, bitter beer. Some do and that's fine and they can do that. But um, if it's brewed well, not over the top, you know, not full of lactose, not full of all the other crap that, that, that might go into them. Um, I think it is a very, you know, very nice and beautiful beer style. I like it a lot. But we do, I think, like any new style that comes out, there are going to be, and, and this is, you know, it's their prerogative, that brewers want to take that and take it to the next level and a level after that and a level after that. That's fine. People are buying it and that's great. But um, I think as a whole, I think it's a great category and, and we'll be here to stay.
0: Because I know a lot of our listeners are, you know, big trivia fans, and and like one-upping each other at the at, well when we're allowed to get back to the bar, um. But Hetty Topper is pretty much considered uh, Hetty Topper by the Alchemist, um, mm-hmm. the original or the the, the original Dnieper, the one for which yep. I guess the yeah you know, all others have followed. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so while we're while we're on the topic then, for a trivia question, um, you are widely considered to be the Originator of hashtag crispy boy, true or false? <laughs> oh
2: dear, I, I, certainly I think it might have been the first one to spell it B O I as well. <laughs> well. I can't remember where that was from, people. I do I do remember this conversation, but no, I, it, that was it's been a term used in the States for a long time, and uh, I think it's a fantastic. Oh, sorry, you're the original importer. (laughs) I did not originate. I stole it from somewhere else. But if you want to say that I was the original (laughs) negotiator.
1: Now, Dave, while we're speaking about beers under the IPA banner, um, last Wednesday Mm -hmm. night, Pete and I in lockdown have been uh, part of a group uh, playing 500 and we both got our Akasha um, rebrand pack and both of us just quite by chance Reached for the same beer at the same uh, moment, which was the Little Smith IPA. Yeah, great. Beautifully balanced, ha- lovely hop. <laughs> well, that, that, well, I'm getting to that because <laughs> we, we both remarked about how beautifully balanced it was a lovely malt for a 3.5% beer, beautiful hop character, nice little bit of bitterness, but everything that an IPA isn't. And yet, there it was, on the can. Or isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, on the can. So, you know, and I, I know that you And, and we did talk
0: about it on, on this week's uh, Brews News Week podcast. <laughs> and I keep forgetting that
1: brewers actually listen to Pete Knight talking about their beers, as it happened with you. Always, uh, yeah. always. <laughs> so um, you, you can't get away from the fact that IPAs sell, but th- that you also acknowledge that it's probably very generous, to call it an
0: IPA. I should just point out, Matt, before we go on, just I did defend Dave, in this particular case, I feel, and I'll use a couple of examples. So uh, Bling, which is Bridge Road Brewers, um, you know, IPA, and that is an IPA. When he then made a mid-strength version of that called Little Bling, you kind of say, okay, look, I, I, it's a smaller version of, a, of, of an IPA oh. that already exists, so I, I kind of concede. And it's the same with uh, Little, but Dave Little Smith didn't IPA. go Little Smith. He is Hopsmith. Yeah. So there's Hopsmith IPA, which is what, six point eight, Dave? Uh yeah. I think. Just to put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sound, sound, you can feel free to sound a little bit more confident. Um and then the Little Smith, you, you, it comes from the Hopsmith, so it's 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 linked. Sorry, I don't mind. Smith. You don't
1: need the IPA.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, you probably don't, but it's a pale ale, isn't it? It's a beautiful pale ale, a beautiful three point five percent. It is experience.
1: absolutely none of this conversation takes away from what a majestic beer it is. But
2: <laughs> <laughs> look, I think I think it definitely it, it could fit into either. There is, I mean, obviously there is a um, that sort of category to fit in as an IPA or a pale. It, it could it could quite easily fit into both. We could brand that as a pale ale, and people wouldn't blink an eye. It'd be a nice, yeah, you know, re- very hot forward pale ale, but but definitely a parallel, and I think... We'll put it this um, way, Dave.
0: If you if you, uh, you know cranked out your beautiful lager, but you had it unfiltered, <laughs> would you call it a hazy?
2: <laughs> <laughs> we, did, we did release a hazy lager once, so I'm going to say yes, but, uh, <laughs> because it wasn't about the haze. But um, I, think it, I think Pete hit the nail on the head. I think we, in terms of uh, it is more of a... I'm not going to say it's marketing, because it's not, we're not just doing it to sell more of it, but it more is to make sure that people understand That it it is designed as a low alcohol IPA. Now, if I was to hop a low alcohol IPA with the same same rate that we do a hopsmith, it would be terribly unbalanced and just wouldn't work. And and that's really one of the challenges with with um, is that people want to drink IPA and drive home. And when you're talking six, seven, eight percent IPAs, you, you can't have a couple of them. It really just doesn't work out. So how can we how can we Give that experience to somebody who's driving, or just once, you know, it's a weeknight and just wants a, a beer or two, without you know, without getting too much of a buzz on. How, how do we do that? And it's and it's, it's a really hard thing to do. Um, it, that I think you, you spoke about the malt in that beer. Um, that was that we had to if we just used a, a fairly light malt base malt that we like we do in our IPAs, it would actually get a little too thin. So we've even we we use um, some quite Quite tasty English malts in there to 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 not f- put too much flavour into it as such, but to, just to bring up the body a little bit and and make sure it's still a balanced beer. Um, but we do need to drop those hops back a little bit in, because otherwise we will have an unbalanced beer, and that's something we don't want to do. So when we when we talk about balance in the brewery, we talk about three different things. We talk, yeah, you know, traditionally we all talk about you know, the sweetness of the malt and the bitterness of the hops, but there's also alcohol is a very important part of that balance. Um, so it's a real tough beer to brew, but um, I'm uh, glad you like it. And that's well, and, and the Not thing. Like, none,
1: what's in a name? Like a rose by any other name would still smell <laughs> like a rose. But and it, it's a it's a beautiful beer. But it's you know it was it was more that idea that um, and that there are parts of the beer drinking world that think craft beer and IPA are actually interchangeable. Um, mm. And which was where I think the conversation went to on the podcast last week. That IPA is almost shorthand for a hop forward beer um style as opposed to a style that conforms to a rigid definition
2: mm. yeah that's fair that's fair it's um it's certainly a big part of it um but yeah good for our branding yeah so, yes.
1: <laughs> and i'll keep as i said you know, for all of the use cases that you gave um it is exactly in 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 the ballpark for for those sorts of beers
2: and I think getting back to the ha- the hazy is just opening up again. To, I, I think to an even broader market. The IPA is still a broader market. We're, we're seeing, you know, who would have thought that a, a an IPA hopped, you know, up to you know, 20, 25, 30 grams per litre would be appealing to a, a newbie drinking drinking drinking, uh, drinking craft beer or drinking beer in general. So um, it shows you uh, what a what a big impact bitterness has on the approachability of a beer.
1: And, and that's where yeah, like I completely see the uh, appeal of. Lower bitterness beers because bitterness is nature's warning sign to us that so we're actually hardwired to have an aversion to bitterness um, from yep. a very young age and it's something we have to overcome. Um, so, which is why mainstream beers are becoming progressively less bitter as they chase a a, a, a different mm. palate. But um, I, I do wonder whether there is a point at which the obsessive quest for the, the the haze or the juice or or the look of some of these things doesn't actually then not only reach a point of diminishing return it actually becomes actively repellent or um, it makes craft beer easy to categorise as you know a hipster um, beverage but uh, that's a whole other yeah. conversation so uh,
0: anyway mate <laughs> and, the, yeah before we disappear down that rabbit hole Matt, we probably <laughs> should we
2: <yeah. laughs> uh, plenty use, of it. we'll leave that till the next time.
0: That's right. Use that uh, that full stop as a uh, as good a point as any to uh, to thank Dave Padden from Akasha Brewing for uh, joining us today on Beer is a Conversation. Well done on the uh, rebrand and the refresh, but also thanks for sharing your your thoughts with us because I think it's one of those things that, uh, uh, like yourselves, I think a lot of breweries are. Uh, risk averse and they're also you know they don't like change and there's well it's, it's going okay so let's just leave everything as it is. Um, yep. Other breweries have done it in the past and sort of felt that they risked losing you know their their core fan base or or that sort of you know putting people offside. Um, so we genuinely, genuinely appreciate you sharing your, your insights into um, what brought it about and, and how, how it came to be the way it is.
2: Oh, my pleasure. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure. It's it's been a big part of our life at 9 months. So, more than happy to to uh, to talk about it. But yeah, thanks for having me, guys.
1: Oh, a pleasure. And I think actually because you talked about having uh, chatted to the guys at um Hopsmith and I think you might have just spent a day there when we caught up with you by satellite phone uh, on the hottest one day. Yeah. Uh, the Al- 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 Alchemist. At the Alchemist. Um, <laughs>
2: I'm glad you got the two of us interchanging correctly. <laughs> yeah, so that, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, I, I was too busy it's trying real, to think of um,
1: <laughs> w- w- whether that was the brewery that you'd been to to try and recall its name correctly. But because it was late it was, at night. Uh, yeah, it was indeed. Yeah,
2: that was the night that I'd uh, come back and uh, um, maybe imbibed in a few of, uh, of those beers. <laughs> and yet you joined us. <laughs> good fun.
1: Always good to chat, Dave. Thanks very much for your time and, and, and all the best with the, uh, with, with the uh, rebrand as well.
2: Thank you very much. See you later.
1: And that was Dave Padden. Check out the beers and the rebrand and let us know what you think about the design now that you've heard the thinking behind it. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryer Malt. With more than 25 years in the field, Cryomalt Malt is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. Your premium brewing partner and proud sponsors of this conversation and the Radio Brews News channel. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at bruisenews.com.au.